Welcome to the 79th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a quick re- overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, recapping week three of the college football season, and recapping week two of NFL action. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, and we will start in Major League Baseball, where Patrick went 3-1 and one in his prediction of Major League Baseball weekend series. In NCAA football action, Patrick went 3-1 and one with his predictions. And in the NFL, Patrick went 3-1 and one in his weekend game predictions. So, Patrick was 9-3 and three overall in this past weekend's predictions. That brings him to 179 and 138 overall, a 56.5% winning percentage this season. Patrick, your thoughts on this past weekend's predictions? Well, I will focus on the three losses because the nine wins were, uh, I'll take my nine wins. Uh, well, I lost the football predictions by a combined two points. Yep, that's right. Uh, the Ravens won by one point <laughs> over, the, over the Chiefs, and Oklahoma State beat Boise State by one point. And actually, in that game, Oklahoma State blocked a field goal that would have won the game for Boise State. And as we know, as the Chiefs were trying to run out the clock so that they could kick a game-winning field goal of their own, they fumbled. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire fumbled on about the Ravens' maybe 25 or 30-yard line with about a minute and a half left. Uh, the Ravens went for it on fourth and one, iced the game, and that was that. So that's those are those two losses. Then I had two series that were already over heading into the last day uh, into the MLB of those series. Uh, the Dodgers took care of business and won one. The Yankees had Garrett Cole on the mound against Eli Morgan, who's an who's a Cleveland pitcher with uh, with a five something ERA on the year, and somehow the Yankees ended up losing that game to Cleveland eleven to one at home. Uh, Garrett Cole got booed off the mound at the end of that game, which is pretty interesting. Uh, that team is having a self-destruct kind of similar to what the Padres are experiencing, who I also predicted to lose, and they got swept. By the way, the Cardinals have now won nine in a row. Don't look, don't look now, but they are—they're uh, pretty much locking up that wild card spot, uh, that second wild card behind the Dodgers. But uh, again, overall, really satisfied. Uh, I think easily could have even gone twelve and zero. That's too much to ask, probably, but. Could have gone there. I also could have picked some other games in the, in college that I was a little more unsure of, uh, but that were also, you know, number eight against an unranked team. That'd be Cincinnati. I was thinking maybe picking Michigan State over Miami, but didn't really feel like picking that one because I wasn't really confident in either team. I think I had no, any, there was nothing on paper about either of them. Uh, and the only thing that I know about Cincinnati and Indiana is that it's hard to win a, a, on the road against a Big Ten team, but that Cincinnati probably has one of the best, re- probably the second best returning quarterback uh, in college football. So it's a hard balance there to see who to pick. Uh, and I just decided to go with the Oklahoma State-Boise State game just because it was actually supposed to be a closer game than all of them in terms of the point spread, and it ended up being a one-point game. So there you go. I guess it was right that it was going to be closer, but I got the wrong team. All right, well, that wraps up our look back at Patrick's weekend predictions. His predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website, 4thand24.com, on Thursday. Let's now move on to our weekly look back at college football action. And, Patrick, uh, what do you think were the best games of week three? Well, I got five of them. Uh, they might bleed into some other categories a little bit, so I might I might stop talking about some aspects of some games a little bit early to make sure that I can focus on them uh, from some of these later questions. 
The first one is West Virginia over Virginia Tech, uh, 27-21. West Virginia almost blew this game because they threw an interception while going for it on third down. Uh, they were running out the clock, but then they decided that with about a minute left, they would try to throw for it on third and seven to see if they could ensure that they got the first down and ended the game against Virginia Tech, sealed their upset. However, they threw an interception on their own 20-yard line, and it took a three-and-out, actually a four-and-out technically from the goal line, from the three-yard line, for Virginia Tech to lose that game, also a game that I predicted. So I guess I won some games from some slim margins too. So that was how West Virginia pulled out that game. But wow, I mean, what a really good game. That game was close throughout, uh, and that comeback at the end almost made it. It was a nail-biter for either team, whether your team lost or won, whether you were on whichever side of that Virginia rivalry you were on. And by the way, another rivalry streak broken. I believe Virginia Tech had won nine in a row before this game, or were go- they were either going for ten in a row or had won ten in a row heading into this game. So a rivalry streak broken. Now a streak that hasn't been broken Alabama has now beaten SEC East teams 32 times in a row. Uh, It really speaks to that side of the SEC and what it entails. Other than Georgia, no team has been good in the SEC East, and uh, at least good enough to beat Alabama, other than a few Florida teams. And by the way, the last time Alabama did lose to an SEC East team was a national championship Florida team in 2008. So it's been a while. There's a reason why it's been a while. And uh, look, there just aren't many good, there aren't good enough teams over there other than Florida and Georgia to beat them. Uh, The upsets of Alabama always come from their rivals, Auburn and LSU, and maybe occasionally Mississippi State or Ole Miss. So you're not going to get that because those teams are in their division. Uh, So they don't really get upset by those teams in the SEC East. They're also not in the SEC East, but Georgia has failed to beat them recently. So has Florida. And I think that's also because Alabama takes them seriously. But what a game this was. I mean, Alabama took a huge lead on Florida, but then uh, at the end of the game, Florida really made it close. They had a two-point conversion to tie the game at 31. They just missed it. Uh, Alabama got a few first downs to ice the game. Florida tried some, you know, Hail Mary stuff, but could not get it. Yeah, tried everything in the books, uh, but they couldn't get it. But uh, that's the end of that game. I mean, th- there were a lot of things that Florida probably could have done better to win that game pretty easily. I mean, the the, the interception in the first quarter that Emory Jones threw was probably the worst throw I saw all day on Saturday. Just was not even close to the targeted receiver. Uh, although I didn't watch the Indiana game, so that also could have been part of it because I know Penix did not make great throws in that game either. But speaking of that Indiana game... Uh, even though I admitted that I did not watch it, I was following it throughout. Uh, Cincinnati with their 38-24 win over Indiana. Indiana was up 14 nothing. So if you want to go in basketball terms, or in a more common basketball term, Cincinnati went on a 38-10 run to close out this game uh, and to win on the road in a Big Ten venue while the fans in the student section were pulling up bleacher planks. Uh, go, go find that on Twitter if you haven't already. It's pretty uh, It's pretty interesting. Interesting tradition Indiana has now. Yeah, that's been a tradition for two weeks, so not much of a tradition Vandalize yet, I guess. Vandalize stadium in a loss. Yeah, and it might not, it might not stick, but uh, at least it's when they're up 14 nothing and they're not doing it out of uh, anger. I think I think the I think the maintenance crew there will be a little bit happier if they're only doing it because they're happy <laughs> and they're only going to do it once per game. But um, other than the uh, bleacher plank tearing out part of the game, 
Cincinnati really did have to fight to win this game, and I think they showed exactly what people thought they were they could be made of. And uh, look, the way the playoff is shaping up right now, it is really wide open. Uh, Oregon and I mean the mainstays just aren't there. There's Alabama, there's Georgia, but we probably know that one of those teams most likely won't make it from losing to each other in the SEC championship game. It's possible that they're both undefeated heading into that game. And then the team who loses just gets the fourth seed, but they don't, I don't think the playoff would let those teams play two weeks in a row. It'd be very strange. So uh, we'd have to see who'd get jammed in that spot by the end of the season. But, but because of the fact that this season is so wide open, Cincinnati could slot in. They could be one of those teams that get through that little jam there. And by the way, Iowa's going to have some tough games. We don't know who's going to win the other division of the Big Ten and come out and probably beat Iowa, to be quite honest. Uh, and then you got Oregon in there. There's a lot of teams. The mainstays aren't there. So there is room finally for a team like Cincinnati to get in because the last three, four years, it's been Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, and take your pick. But Cincinnati, even going undefeated, hasn't had enough on their resume to get in there. It's been a Notre Dame. It's been any other team. It's been an SEC team. It's been uh, some. It's been Oklahoma a few times. So, uh, by the way, Oklahoma isn't looking too great, but that's another topic. Uh, the next most important, the next best game was Penn State Auburn. Uh, I think we all expected it to be a great game. Uh, so look, this it really just was a great whiteout game. Finally, a team actually put up a pretty good fight against Penn State in a whiteout game. Probably the best that I've seen since Ohio State with winning at winning a game there. Uh, some teams have won some other games. Some teams have made it close towards the end of the game. Michigan Remini- had a game time touchdown two years ago. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was referring to there. But uh, most of the time, Penn State does come out with the wins, at least recently, since they've gotten a little bit better. When they started this tradition, they were not as good as a team and sometimes lost these games. But now they seem to be able to beat anybody that's solidly within their range of a team that uh, – within their range, really, in terms of where they stand in the season that any given year – Teams above them, maybe not so much, but Auburn is definitely a worse team than Penn State. They're not a bad team at all, but Penn State is a really good team, and Auburn's just a good team. Uh, So Penn State, still, that game was exciting. It was fun. There were a lot of turns in it. I think people thought for a while that Auburn might have a chance just because they had the lead in the first quarter after Penn State didn't get it on a fourth down that they went for, which is a huge momentum swing really early in the game. It was actually on the first drive, but still, Penn State comes out with the win. And the last game is BYU versus Arizona State. A lot of fun plays in this game. Every single BYU against Pac-12 game this year so far has been fun. Uh, By the way, they might as well join the Pac-12. Oh, wait, they're joining the Big 12. Well, eh, that's a different discussion. But uh, they have played literally only three Pac-12 teams to open the season. And uh, look, they're doing quite well against them. They're 3-0 against them. Uh, This one being the best team of them all, apparently. Uh, Beating Arizona State 27-17, though, was a very interesting, fun game. Arizona State could have won the game. They just turned. They just had a lot of turnovers, but that's something that we'll talk about a little bit later more. All right. Well, uh, two games you didn't mention. Uh, Friday night games are usually dogs, and we had two exciting games on Friday night with uh, UCF and Louisville and Maryland, Illinois, both having exciting finishes. Not the most high-profile games, but always nice to have an exciting Friday matchup. Let's move on. Uh, what about your biggest upsets of the weekend? Well, I think it's obvious. Uh, Fresno State beating UCLA on the road. Uh, nobody saw that coming. Don't nobody ever... saw the game. Well, that's also true. But nobody saw it coming. Nobody can tell you that they predicted it. And if they do, just tell them that they shouldn't predict any games anymore because that's not... 
You can get a pick right but still not be good at picking games. Uh, <laughs> that would be one of them. Uh, look, 40-37, to 37, Fresno State beats UCLA. Zach Charbonnet only has six carries in this game, which is something that I've been questioning and still contemplating of how does your best player never touch the ball? And three of them were on the first drive where they were in the red zone and he just got touchdowns off of them. So I can't really explain to you why or how that happened, but Fresno State made a great comeback on the road. And by the way, uh, going to talk about it a little bit later, but there are a lot of teams who have been beating up on the Pac-12 so far this season. There are very specific teams who have played multiple teams and are doing very well against anybody, no matter who they play. Uh, but the second upset, we talked about West Virginia before, but I would still like to mention that was a big upset, an unranked team beating number 15. And by the way, West Virginia still isn't even ranked because of their loss to Maryland. Nobody is ranking them because they're still 2-1 in the season. There are plenty of 3-0 teams. Uh, and then Michigan State over Miami, just because the margin of that game was ridiculous, 38-17 to on the road, Michigan State beats a ranked Miami team, which we can debate whether they should have been ranked or not. Uh, you had them ranked higher than me, even though I convinced you to move them all the way down from, I think, 14 that you initially had them at the beginning of the week. And then I told you, have you seen the team that just beat App State by two? They'll be moving down a lot this week. Yeah, uh, safe to say they will not be ranked this week. I don't even think I don't even think that's spoiling too much there. Um, but I mean, as I said, West Virginia is not even ranked in the AP poll because there are a lot of two and one teams. There are also a lot of three and O teams. Three and O teams deserve to be ranked. Miami is two and one and lost by twenty one at home. Uh, so Miami not looking great, uh, but. That's a good upset. That's a good. That's a good win by Michigan State. Really showing balance on 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 both ends of the of both ends of the field. Great running game. Great passing game. Also turned Dr. King over twice. All right. What about your most disappointing teams from last weekend? Uh, I'll go with a lot of teams that actually won their games so far. Uh, Oklahoma for barely beating Nebraska. Yeah, the score was 23-9 to for a while, and Nebraska only made it 23-16 to at the end, but it was also only 7-3 to at the half, and I would like to remind people that Illinois made a comeback win against Nebraska, and it still only has two wins on the whole season, because they also lost to Maryland after giving up a lead, and making a bunch of dumb plays, and not knowing how to, clock, how to manage the clock at all. And they also lost to UTSA at home. So keep in mind that Nebraska is not a good team. Don't let anybody make you believe that Nebraska is good. This is a 2-2 two and two team because they're bad. They haven't played anybody other than the two teams they lost to. But it shouldn't be close. Uh, Oklahoma should not be close with a team this bad. Nebraska's defense is not good enough to hold Oklahoma to 23 points. Maybe their offense is good enough to manufacture 16 points against any Big 12 defense. That's not that many points. But 23 points only to score from Oklahoma is just such a low number. It's really It was a really bad showing by them. Then I'll go to another team in the top 10. Ohio State, look, for not having a real bounce back week, that was really disappointing to me. Most teams, after they lose, play a lot better the next week, um, regardless of the result. The Ohio State didn't. Travion Henderson played a lot better than anybody else on any team pretty much in the whole country did uh, the, this this week for a bounce back. But the rest of the team didn't show up. And this 41-20 scoreline is pretty deceiving because this game was, was a one-possession game in the fourth quarter with about six minutes left. So Tulsa actually had a chance to win this game. And mind you, Tulsa is 0-2 on the season heading into this game, now 0-3. This game, I mean, they should have blown them out. I mean, look at 
Look at every other team in the Big Ten and look at what they're doing with their crappy opponents that they're playing when they play them. Michigan won by 60. So Ohio State should be doing the same thing. They were actually favored by more heading into their game. So again, this was a... This was a letdown, and this performance probably would have led to them losing to a Big Ten team, honestly. Uh, Maybe not some of the bad teams in the Big Ten, but if they played like this against Michigan, if they played like this against Michigan State or Penn State or even probably Iowa, obviously Iowa, but even probably Wisconsin and Indiana, they'd lose to any of those teams for sure. Uh, Maybe even lose to Maryland playing like this. Their defense just is not playing well, uh, and overall it's just been a really disappointing season for them so far. Not to say they can't turn it around, but they have not been good so far. Yeah, and they even tried to sh- do a shakeup on defense by uh, basically demoting the defensive coordinator and taking the play calling responsibilities away from. Him. So, yeah, not the ex- like you said, not the showing you expect from Ohio State after that after that loss to Oregon. The next team that I'll mention is Arizona State for their sloppy play against BYU. Four turnovers. Uh, they lost twenty seven seventeen. If you had four extra possessions in that game, you probably would have won that game. Uh, Arizona State was really really efficient on offense throughout the game. It's just that they gave the ball away half the time they had the ball. Not to mention the fact that they actually created almost a pick six. Uh, they were down 21-17, to 17 and they got an interception. They returned it all the way to the 10, and the linebacker who was carrying the ball got chased down by the running back of BYU who punched the ball out and got a fumble recovery on, their, on BYU's own 10 after an interception by Arizona State. That should have been a pick six. That should have given them the lead. But instead, another turnover gives BYU the ball. By the way, they get a negative 60-yard play but still get a first down out of it on a third down after an ill-advised throw by their quarterback, drive down the field, score a touchdown, ice the game. Uh, So, again, Arizona State playing really sloppy. They don't deserve any credit for how they played. Uh, It could have been—they easily should have won this game. Uh, The last team I will say for the most disappointing teams is just UCLA for their loss. I mean, after all the hype you've had, this was a week where you could keep it going. The team you were playing on the other side is is not nearly as talented as you, regardless of what they've done in the rest of the season. They're just, Fresno State is not good enough to beat UCLA on the road unless UCLA lets it happen, and they just let it happen this week. All right, well, let's uh, do the flip side. Most impressive teams. Ole Miss for scoring at will, at, at absolute will of anything. I mean... You cannot do anything to stop this team other than just have more talent and hope that they throw incompletions and make bad blocks when they try to run the ball. Uh, Other than that, there's nothing that stops this team. They have a really bad third down conversion percentage, but they never get to third down, so it doesn't even matter. Uh, (laughs) Ole Miss scored 61 points in this game. Uh, They scored 43 in their opener, and I believe they also scored 50 in the next game after that. So... Good luck stopping Ole Miss, and guess who's next for Ole Miss? Bye week, Alabama. So, look, Alabama preparing for Ole Miss after a bye week for them. I mean, granted, I'd probably want to play again as soon as possible after scoring 61 in the rain, in a rain-delayed game, mind you, where it was raining the entire game and they still threw wherever they wanted to. But still, they will be playing well, and the bye week gives them some time to rest. Uh, and game plan really, really heavily for a team that if you can get any advantage over, you should take it, and they will have that advantage. Uh, but it's going to be interesting. And by the way, they were only favored by 14 in that game. They won by 40. So uh, m- nice try to not cover the spread there, Ole Miss. Uh, the next team is Cincinnati for getting the road win. We already talked about how impressive it was. But look, 
any team that gets a road win in the Big Ten uh, against a good team is impressive, just like Penn State Week 1 beating Wisconsin, and just like any team who will do it for the rest of the season, it is very impressive. Uh, Then Penn State for doing what they needed to do against Auburn. They won by eight. They could have won by more, but at the same time, they did what they needed to do, as I said, so they still get some praise for that. Um, The next team is Michigan State with their surprising win, and then the last team is West Virginia with their win over Virginia Tech, but we already talked about both of them, so I'll skip over them. All right, uh, how about the most impressive players? Speaking of West Virginia, how about Ladee Brown? 19 carries, 161 yards, one touchdown, and then also three receptions for 35 yards. The key component in West Virginia's upset, uh, I could have also gone with Kenneth Walker of Michigan State, but I didn't want to go with repeat players twice. So I did repeat one player. That was Matt Corral, 23 of 31, 335 yards, three touchdowns, also 13 carries for 68 yards and four touchdowns on the ground. He was... He had the most carries on their team. He was not the leading rusher. Ole Miss. Yeah, but Matt Corral of Ole Miss, he ended up with seven touchdowns in this game. Uh, Most teams this weekend didn't score seven touchdowns in this game. In fact, I can only name about two of them who did, and it's Michigan and Ole Miss. And other than that, I don't know who scored seven touchdowns, let alone one player who scored seven. Seven touchdowns accounted for definitely deserves to be on this list. (laughs) And probably puts him at the forefront of the Heisman race. And what about the best road win of the weekend? We already talked about it, but... Michigan State over Miami edges out Alabama over Florida and Cincinnati over Indiana just because of the margin they won by in a pretty tough environment to win. Well, not exactly a tough environment, but playing on the road. All right, and let's wrap up our look at college football with your overall takeaways from across a college football week three action. The Big Ten has five possible playoff contenders, uh, and they really do control the picture. Iowa can just run the table in their on their side of the of the division. They're already at number four. They have the highest starting point to launch from, and then they win the Big Ten championship and they're in. It's that simple. Penn State, same thing, except for a little bit harder to run the table because they have pretty much all the other good teams in the divi- in the Big Ten in their division. Even Michigan has Ohio State on the on at home. So, frankly, the hardest game that there is on anybody's schedule in the Big Ten, they do have at home. Uh, look to turn around that 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 rivalry where they have not had much success. Uh, Ohio State, whose hardest game arguably is Michigan on the road, and behind that maybe Penn State at home. They have their one loss behind them, so they can still just take the early loss in the year. And look, they have not played their best football now, but if they turn it up to what they were supposed to be in the preseason for the rest of the season, they could easily run the table and be the team that comes out of the Big Ten uh, and by the way, beats Iowa in that final game. I have no doubt that they're more talented than Iowa, so they can easily beat them in the Big Ten Championship game. And Michigan State has Michigan at home. Uh, so Michigan State, I haven't looked at the rest of their schedule, but I know they have that Michigan game at home. They probably have one of the Penn State or, I- or Ohio State games on the road and one of them at Ohio home. State. Yeah, but at the same time, look, all these teams are undefeated, and they all have a hard enough schedule that they can climb from any spot in the rankings, really. To the top, as we've seen, Michigan State rose all the way from unranked, not even really close to being on people's radars, to 19th in one week with just one win, and that was a road win over number 24. Imagine what what, what would happen if they beat a top 10 team on the road. Uh, so the Big Ten does control their picture there. And by the way, fun fact: Michigan is now favored by the by ESPN's FBI to win every single game for the rest of the season. The close games that you might be thinking of. FBI gives them a 62% chance to beat Wisconsin, 55% to win at Michigan State, 50% to win at Penn State, 
and 54% to win versus Ohio State. I don't know if winning if if uh, if winning against Ohio State at home is actually easier than winning at Penn State than winning at Penn State. I think it's a lot harder. Uh, but you know what? The numbers say what the numbers say. But uh, FPI has never predicted a whole season correctly, and I bet it never will. Uh, so don't take so take that with a with a big grain of salt. <laughs> uh, the next overall takeaway. The Pac-12 is its old self. I was wrong that it's decent this year. It's actually bad as normal. Uh, Fresno State could run the table in the Pac-12 South. They just beat the best team in the Pac-12 South, in the best the best team in that division, which is UCLA. And so could BYU, who beat Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah, who are three of the six teams. And by the way, Utah, the preseason favorite to win that division of the Pac-12. So, uh, look, all of those teams... Could very, very... I mean, look, Fresno State and BYU actually could run the table. I have no doubt in my mind that they couldn't. By the way, Fresno State barely lost to Oregon week two. Well, I guess week one after losing after winning week zero. But week two, week one, whatever you want to call it. The truth, the truth here is the Pac-12 is not playing well. Overall, nobody really, nobody really asserted themselves this week. Minnesota beat Colorado by 30 on the road. They blanked them at home. Oregon State was the only team to win by a lot other than USC beating up on Washington State, which is a conference game. Cal only beat Sacramento State at home by 12. Washington won by 50, but they're already 0-2 on the season before that. Utah lost to San Diego State. Oregon beat Stony Brook. Sure, we know Oregon's good. Stanford did well against Vanderbilt. Northern Arizona beat Arizona. Arizona State lost to BYU, and then Fresno State lost to UCLA. So you, yeah, and then Fresno State beat UCLA. I mean, I'm really trying to put them in the Pac-12, aren't I? Um, so look, the Pac-12 is not playing well. All those teams are playing awfully, so they're not good. I think we, I think we can say that. Uh, and by the way, same thing for the ACC. Uh, Virginia Tech lost. Uh, yeah, they lost on the road. Yeah, West Virginia is okay, but at the same time, Maryland is able to beat. West Virginia, so Virginia Tech probably should if it's supposed to be one of the better teams in the ACC. Pitt lost at home to Western Michigan. Miami lost at home to Michigan State. And Clemson only beat Georgia Tech by eight. So when you look at the ACC, they don't have a top dog this year either because even if they had a little backup there with Virginia Tech, if they were playing well, they're not playing well. Uh, North Carolina lost to Virginia Tech week one, so they're also not really in that conversation. But at this point, they're the second best, and it looks like one of those years where it will be Clemson ranked and one other team ranked and nobody else is good. Uh, regardless of that, the Big Ten picked up some key wins this weekend with Michigan State over Miami, Penn State over Auburn, Minnesota over Colorado, and Nebraska even staying close. And really, the powerhouses are struggling. We talked about Oklahoma only winning by seven. Uh, Alabama won by two against Florida, which is kind of struggling, not really. Uh, Ohio State was way too close for for comfort uh, and for a while, honestly. Clemson only won by eight. By the way, the Big Ten and the SEC have six of the top ten teams in college football. Uh, The only other teams that aren't in the Big Ten and SEC that are ranked in the top ten are Clemson, Cincinnati, Oklahoma, and Oregon. Everybody else is a member of the Big Ten or SEC. And the last takeaway is that the Big 12 took care of its business. Uh, Every single team in the Big 12 won this weekend, surprisingly. Uh, Well, maybe not surprisingly, but they had a few tough games, and, you know, they went 8-0 in them as a conference, so pretty good overall. All right, well, that wraps up our look back at college football from this past weekend. Let's move on to our weekly review of NFL action. Patrick, 
What were the best games in your mind of week two in the NFL? I picked four of them because uh, if I kept expanding them to just the semi-good games, uh, I'd end up with half the league's games in there. So let's start with the one we talked about on our last podcast, Washington and New York. 30-29, Washington won that game, but that was a really close game. Very interesting. Uh, Arizona beat Minnesota 34-33. Another one-point game that was in I mean, it was pretty interesting throughout the game, too. Uh, a lot of back and forth in that one. Baltimore beat Kansas City by one, 36-35. So, again, another one-point game. Three one-point games this weekend. Uh, and then the last one is Tennessee beating beating Seattle 33-30 to in overtime. The only overtime game of the week, so obviously that one gets a mention there. Uh, really, just some good games all around. It's just all the back and forth. And if you look at it, out of the four games I mentioned, the lowest score is 29. Uh, it's 30-29, to 34-33, 36-35, and 33-30. So very, very high-scoring, interesting games, too. Not just a 14-30, a 14-13 or 17-14 type of a game that's, you know, maybe not the most interesting game to watch. These are all really interesting games to watch, and they're really, really close. All right, let's uh, move on to the most disappointing teams from the last weekend in the NFL. I think they're quite obvious. Uh, we're going down south for both of them. New Orleans lost 26-7 to Carolina after absolutely demolishing the Packers. So, two things about that. First of all, if you want to stop the Packers and hold them to only three three points, you better be able to stop Sam Darnold from scoring 26 the very next week. And the other thing is, if you're going to score 38 against a team that made the playoffs last year, you better not only score seven against the Carolina Panthers' defense the next week. So I think it's very obvious that New Orleans played a very, very bad game, uh, and they deserve to be—they deserve to be—to get criticism for it. They played bad, and this was a lot of people's fears about this team that maybe when Jameis can't stay on the field and he can't produce enough, that their defense gets a little too tired and starts slipping up more, and then all of a sudden, everybody's bad on this team. Uh, the second one and the last one I'll go with. Miami, sure they didn't have Tua, but they had him at the beginning of the game. They lost 35 to nothing. I don't care who's playing quarterback. Look at who the Texans have at quarterback. They played Tyrod Taylor and Davis Mills and still scored 21 points. So Miami can figure out a way to score some points. They just didn't. Uh, this game was awful. They lost 35 to nothing. So I think it's pretty obvious that that's, that's the second most disappointing team, only behind New Orleans. Okay, let's talk positive here. Who's the most impressive teams of the week? On the flip side of the Miami game, Buffalo, after their loss against Pittsburgh, won 35 to nothing, as I said, at Miami. And by the way, it is a good Miami defense. So the fact that's another reason why Miami was disappointing, but I'm willing to give the credit more to the Bills' offense being good than the Miami defense being bad. Uh, I think, look, Buffalo took a lot of opportunities, and they had a lot of opportunities, and they converted on all of them. And this is what this team is supposed to do. They're supposed to be a high-scoring team. And really, the defense was probably the most impressive thing in this game because I think Buffalo can score 35 in a lot of games, and I think we're all expecting them to score 30 in a few games. But them shutting out Miami, again, regardless of two or not, is still pretty impressive. So I had to give a mention to them there. Uh, the second team I'll go with is the Raiders. 26-17 win at Pittsburgh after their overtime win against the Ravens. The Raiders are now 2-0 against probably the second-best division in all of football. They're 2-0. They're actually at the top of the AFC West, which is something that I've probably hasn't been said in maybe six years. Uh, 
that win at Pittsburgh after Pittsburgh beat Buffalo, I mean, it might have taken the wind out of the it might have taken the wind out of the sails for Pittsburgh. We'll have to see what happens to them in the rest of the season. But they had that great win, and all of a sudden, they can't they come up flat against the Raiders, or was it just the Raiders playing well? I don't know. You can decide for yourself. But I would like to think it's the Raiders playing well. I really hope it is because I hope that it's not just that the Raiders got one close win and one fluke win, and then Pittsburgh also sucks. I re- I really hope that's not the case, but. Uh, again, really impressive this week that they got that win. I did not expect them to go 2-0 and to start the season. I probably would have picked 0-2 if you gave me the option of 0-2, 1-1, and 2-0. and That's probably what I would have picked. Uh, the next two teams are both AFC teams again. Tennessee with that win over Seattle. Look, nobody beats Seattle in home openers, as you say, as you said. So a really impressive win by them. I was also really impressed that they decided to stick with the run no matter what happened. Uh, they were down by 14, and what did they do? Broke off a 60-yard touchdown run. Uh, that's just what this team is built to do. Really, you never know when they'll actually stop running. I think you have to be beating them by over 30 for them to stop running, and they'll still start running. They did it at the end of the game against Arizona uh, last weekend. So, Tennessee, I like that they imposed their will at the end of the game. They kind of, even though you thought that they weren't going to win that game, their defense stepped up at the end of the game, had some good stops, uh, and also they allowed their offense to get on the field enough to just continually wear Seattle out all the way until that running game was completely effective, and Derrick Henry was just a beast throughout that game. Uh, And Tennessee ended up taking the win because of that, and that overtime win is pretty important for their season. Cannot go 0-2, cannot stress that enough. They had to win that game. A very important win for them early in the season. And then I'm going to go with Baltimore because everybody talked about how Lamar Jackson can't beat the Chiefs, blah, 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 blah. First of all, Lamar Jackson can be great without beating the Chiefs. The only person who's beaten the Chiefs consistently is Tom Brady, and we know what Tom Brady is. Uh, So you can't judge somebody's career off of beating the Chiefs or not. Uh, So Lamar is a good quarterback. We all know this. Lamar has won an MVP, and that MVP was deserved. I am glad that he can finally get the monkey off his back with the Kansas City win because that's really the only thing he hasn't done in his career beside a Super Bowl appearance. Uh, He has an MVP. Now he has a win over the best team and the best quarterback in the league. So there's nothing left to check off other than the huge team success that would result from a Super Bowl appearance or maybe even a Super Bowl victory. But for now, this is a good starting point to beat the best team in the AFC. Okay, what about your most impressive players? I touched on it a little bit. Derrick Henry, what I mean... 35 carries, 182 yards, three touchdowns. Sorry to whoever played me in fantasy who I had in both leagues. Uh, And also, six receptions for 55 yards. I didn't think he got six catches all of last year. All of a sudden, they're throwing him screen passes. He's actually playing in the passing game and the play-action plays. They're not taking it. They're not. He's not taking downs off to let the other running backs in uh, to catch passes for him. He's catching passes. And by the way... He didn't drop any. It's not like he has drop issues. It's not like he ever had them. It's just that he is a typical power back, but really is all around back because he's pretty fast too. But, I mean, just this performance is ridiculous. You don't see this every day. This this basically never happens that a guy is this dominant with three touchdowns. 35 carries is ridiculous. I mean, I'm not, I didn't actually write him here, but Aaron Jones was probably one of the best players this week. He scored four touchdowns with 23 touches. Derek Henry had 41 touches in this game. It's just it's just crazy that he can carry all this workload. Uh, and then the second player is Cooper Cup. Nine receptions, 163 yards, two touchdowns, and the Rams win over the Colts. 
Matthew Stafford really likes Cooper Cup. I think we can say that after the first two weeks very, very confidently. Cooper Cup likes Matthew Stafford, too. I, I agree. I think, by the way, I think Jared Goff also liked Cooper Cup because Cooper Cup led every single yards after catch, yards after contact, and the third down yard yardage stats for a while. But I think now he's gonna. it's going to get even bigger, his lead, because... Matt Stafford is loving throwing to him for whatever reason. I don't know if it's just the type of routes that he's running that Stafford's more comfortable with. But uh, Robert Woods has kind of taken the backseat to Cooper Cup right now. But look, I don't think either of them care as long as the Rams are winning and they're 2-0. and All right. What about the best road win? We mentioned it earlier. Tennessee over Seattle at one of the hardest places to win. Probably the hardest place to win in all of the NFL. Uh, breaking Seattle's streak of nine straight wins in home openers to begin, or yeah, in home openers, uh, look, a good win by Tennessee, and as we talked about, just overall, it was a very impressive performance, really everybody played well, so, I mean, we, again, we covered all the bases of this game, but again, a really, really good road win by Tennessee. Yep, breaks the second longest uh, home season opener streak in NFL history. Uh, any overall takeaways from across NFL Week 2? Uh, the AFC North is confusing, uh, is, is I think my main takeaway. Pittsburgh goes on the road and beats Buffalo. Then they lose at home to Las Vegas. Meanwhile, talking about another team who played Las Vegas, Baltimore loses against Las Vegas week one, comes back home and beats Kansas City. So is the denom- is the common denominator of Vegas here the problem that Vegas just actually is good? Or are these AFC North teams just really, really inconsistent? I'm going to lean to the inconsistent one, but I could see the Raiders still being good. Um, so look, the AFC North is just confusing, but let's move on to another division. The NFC West, even while losing, looks good. Uh, Arizona probably should have lost the game against Minnesota because Minnesota did miss a 37-yard field goal, uh, to end that game that they only won by one. The Rams won again this weekend. Uh, the 49ers won again this weekend, so you have the 49ers and Rams who are 2-0. You have Arizona who's 2-0 also. Seattle's 1-1, but they only lost an overtime game. So I don't think anybody's really... uh, And by the way, they also destroyed the Colts. They beat them by a lot more than the Rams did. So I don't really think anybody's too down on Seattle. And and as I said, they even looked good while losing. Uh, This game was played pretty well up until really the fourth quarter in overtime where they kind of stalled out all their drives trying to run out the clock. But overall, the NFC West is looking about as good as we thought it would be. Uh, The next one that I will go to is the Cowboys should, I'm not saying they will because they're going to choke because they always do, but they should be better than 8-8, eight and eight, they're normal, 9-8 uh, and eight because it's actually 17 games this year, or 8-9 and nine this season. I don't know what will be their new normal because, well, they can't ha- they can't be 8-8. Eight and eight. Maybe they'll go 8-8-1. Eight, eight and one. Maybe go. that's their alternative. Uh, but how they, from how they look so far, they should be better than that. And also, if you look at the rest of the teams in their division, Washington and, and the Giants had a fight of who could try to lose the game easier or who could try to lose the game more uh, on Thursday night football. And the Eagles are the Eagles. So the NFC East sucks, and they they just can't challenge Dallas. So I, I think they have like six, probably they should win at least four of the six games they play against their division. You add that up, you're already at five, you're already at five and one. Just fi- Just pick at least... Four other games out of, like, what, 15 to win, and all of a sudden, here you are. You're a playoff team. You're 11-7, and seven, and you're not even just a playoff team because you won a crappy division. You're a playoff team because you have a real playoff record. Uh, I think they should be better, but we'll, we'll have to see throughout the year. Uh, 
I think the Raiders could finally have their year. I've been talking about how maybe the other teams they're playing are just inconsistent, but it doesn't matter how inconsistent they are. These are NFL teams. They don't go up and down that much. So I think the Raiders have to be winning these games just because they're good. I think it's that simple. Uh, they might not be like, they might not continue to beat teams like the Steelers on the road or the Ravens at home throughout the season. I don't have them beating the Chiefs when they play them later in the year or anything like that. But they still might be good enough to maybe take one game off the Chiefs. They actually did it last year. Uh, they're probably good enough to split both the, to split the series with the Chargers and uh, probably do the same with the Broncos, maybe even beat the Broncos twice this year. So when you look at it like that, they have two wins over some hard teams in the rest of the AFC. They can get some wins against their own division. Maybe they could make a playoff run. It could be finally their year. Uh, and the last one, Minnesota's heartbroken twice. They lost an overtime game after, well, actually, they tried to ice the kicker. The kicker missed the original kick uh, for Cincinnati in week one. He missed a 52-yarder, but they called the timeout. So then he re-kicked, made the 52-yarder, sent it into overtime, then made a 47-yard field goal to win the game. Then this week, they miss a 37-yard field goal to lose the game. Uh, give up now, you're not making the playoffs, you're cursed. It's just that simple. Minnesota's a cursed team right now. So, uh, good luck. Uh, probably I'll, I'll give them 6-11 mm, on the season. Yeah, well, they are in the Lions division, so there's two. Uh, no, not even that. 6-11, uh, trust me, <laughs> okay. it'll happen. All right, well, that wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, September 24th where we will have our weekly analysis of MLB action and other important news from the world of sports. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games, his predictions for the entire college football and NFL seasons, the third installment of our college football top 25 poll on Tuesday, and Patrick's MLB power rankings updates, which are posted on Saturdays. All of that content is on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.